John chapter 14. How many of you remember when you graduated high school? Most of us, hopefully. What was the feeling you had, if you can remember, when you graduated? For some, it was excitement. For some, it was relief. But I wonder if any of us have this thought or this feeling uh, back in that time of your life. Did you have the thought, what in the world am I going to do next? Like, what now? And I know some people have it well planned out, but a lot of us, if you're like me, you had no idea what you're going to do. And so there's this idea of maybe a little bit of excitement, but also some worry about what's next in my life. And I give you that thought because in John 13, as Jason pointed out to us last week, Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to go away. But the comfort and the hope that he shared with us in chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, was that though Jesus is leaving his disciples, he's going to prepare a place for them that he might one day take them to be in that place. And so the title of last week's sermon was Hope and Comfort. But as I begin to continue to just dive into those verses and the, the verses we're going to look at today, I tried to put myself in the disciples' sandals and think, though Jesus was giving hope and comfort by saying, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, I'm going to come and take you to be where I am, I wonder if deep down in the disciples' minds were they thinking, He's leaving us? Are we done? What's next for us? And though he had given them words of comfort, even so, I imagine they still felt some concern. Could you imagine being those disciples and thinking, I've spent three, I've dedicated three years of my life to follow and serve, and I've, I've surrendered you know, and many times maybe my, my job or my family to, to give my time to, to follow this Messiah, and now he's leaving What's next? In today's text, Jesus tells them, or at least hints at, what's next. And so in John 14, we're going to read verses 12 through 17 this morning. If you found verse 12, say word. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, and that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Let me give you the sermon in a sentence this morning. If I could break it down into one sentence. 
it would be this. Jesus promises his disciples that they will advance his work as they pray, as they obey, and as they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is a promise. I would actually argue this is four or five promises at least that Jesus gives them to maybe help with any concern they might have about the question, what's next? And so let's break it down. In verse 12, the, the very main point here is, to me, is in verse 12, is Jesus promising the disciples that they will advance his work, continue on his work. But before we dive into that, look at verse 12 again, and Jesus says, uh, Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me will do these works. So the promise that Christ gives here is for who? His disciples, or as we see here, those who believe on him. I want to make a note on that word believe in verse 12. That is not just a one-time faith that you had at some point in the past. That is someone who believes, but that faith was in such a way that it persists and continues from that moment forever. That's the kind of faith that true believers in Christ have. We don't have a faith that stops and starts. We don't have a faith that started and then stopped. True believers have a faith that started and that continues forever. So those who believe, Jesus says in verse 12, will do the works that I do. That's what he says in verse 12. Isn't that interesting that Jesus says, if you believe on me, the works I do you shall also do. And so I was just thinking here, what are the works that Jesus did? And I begin to write some of these down. First, there are the miracles, right? Water to wine, walking on the water, calming the sea, healing the sick, raising the dead. And so Jesus says, if you believe on me to these disciples, you will do the works I do. Now we actually know that these, in the book of Acts, some of these miracles were actually done. But he also did other works besides miracles, teaching and giving examples. And the greatest work that Jesus ever did was the cross. And so look at verse 12 again. He says, who believe, that he who believes in me will do the works I do. And then he takes a step further and says, and greater works than these shall he do. And I read that thinking, what? What? How is it possible that these 11 ordinary men, these disciples, are going to do anything greater than what Jesus has already done? Is that even possible? Are they going to, now I want you to answer, answer it to me, are they going to teach better than Jesus taught? Are they going to do miracles better than Jesus did? Are they going to give better examples of how to be a Christian than Jesus did? Are they going to lay down their lives for sinners like Jesus did? Will they, and though they died as martyrs, most of them, would these disciples rise again on the third day? No. So what does Jesus mean when he says that all who believe in him will do greater works than he? I believe Jesus is not speaking here to the quality of his works, but maybe to the quantity or the scope of his works. Let me give you a few. Um, I read just several um, 
ideas, opinions, thoughts on this text. One uh, is a New Testament scholar by the name of D.A. Carson. Carson says the greater work here points to the power of the gospel to transform lives as it spreads through the apostles. Through Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were born again. Carson says that's probably more than Jesus saw converted during his entire ministry. So think about that. Jesus stayed in Palestine. Jesus preached to people. According to Carson, probably saw less than 3,000 converts. And on one day in Acts chapter 2, by the power of the Holy Spirit that Christ had sent them, Peter preaches, 3,000 people come to Christ. Jesus says, you will do greater works than I in the sense of the scope of the ministry. John MacArthur um, made that point. He made the point that Jesus never went outside of Palestine, but his disciples would spread the gospel throughout the whole world. And of course, J.C. Ryle says this about this text. There's no greater work possible than the conversion of a lost soul. And so the greater works here that the disciples can do, and watch this, that we can do, is to be a part of advancing the kingdom of God. As the church, as the people of God, we are a part of advancing the kingdom of God as we proclaim the gospel of God. And so your very presence and and activity in this church is not just for your own spiritual growth, although it is. It's not just for your own church family's benefit, although it is. But a part of being a church is that we might help spread this gospel throughout our community and the world. Did you know that when you give money to the offering here, a portion of every, all the money we take in goes out to missions. There's a church plant meeting right now on the Gulf Coast area that we support. There's, there's people in the Philippines that we support. Uh, there's others that we support. And so we come together and help spread the gospel by working together. But look in verse 12 again. I don't, I don't want to leave out the last part of verse 12. Because Jesus says this, he says, because I go to my Father. And I want to make more uh, another point on that later, but as I was just, again, just doing some reading on this text, um, the reformer uh, John Calvin said, I just made an, a great, an amazing point here. He said, the power by which Christ proves himself to be the Son of God is not confined to his bodily presence, but is also demonstrated by his absence. And he says that when Christ left and his work continued even greater, that shows and reveals to us that Christ truly is who he said he was. Christ is so the Son of God that he can leave and his work can still go on even greater. Pretty, pretty deep thought there from Calvin on Christ. So Jesus says to these disciples, And I imagine they're thinking, what's next? What are we going to do next? He says, you're going to go and advance my work, and advance this work. And church, that applies again to us. We're called to be gospel bearers, gospel witnesses. The gospel was never meant to stop with us. Remember a few weeks ago, are you the Dead Sea or the Jordan River? Are Are you a reservoir where the gospel comes and just stops? Or are you a river that the gospel flows through? Christ desires to do a great work through us. Let's look back at our sermon in a sentence. Jesus promises his disciples that they will advance his work, and he gives 
at least three ways in which they will do it. The first way is as they pray. As they pray. I see that in verses 13 and 14. Look again there with me. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, those are a couple of verses that could be misconstrued, right? Does that mean if I pray for a brand new truck, when I get home today, it's going to be sitting in my driveway? Probably not. Probably not, right? Does that mean I can pray for just anything I want and God's just going to do it? Is God this genie we can rub the bottle and the genie pops out and grants our wish? We know that's not right, right? There are people, though, I was reading this week, there are people who've taken these verses to mean that. Even some denominations and some groups who claim these verses as verses that we can just pray anything. And it's going to be done no matter what because we've said it in Jesus' name. And, and that's what he said, right? Look back at the verses. He said, anything you pray in my name will I do. Verse 14. He says it twice, 13 and 14. If you pray in my name, I will do. And so for many, the, the phrase in Jesus' name has become some type of magical phrase. If I tag that on the end of my prayer, you know, my prayer is 100% going to happen what I, what I want to happen. We know that's not right. This doesn't mean I get just anything I want or I ask for. Let me illustrate what I think this means. Um, back in 2020, uh, the Mississippi High School Basketball Championships were held at the Pavilion at Ole Miss. And uh, Aiden's team was lucky enough to win the championship that, that, well, that first day. And so we were there watching that and celebrating. And so I wanted to go back the next day and watch other teams play. And a friend of mine who is a basketball scout, he said, hey, come and sit with me and you can help me do some of the scouting. I said, that'd be great. And he said, when you get there, don't, don't buy a ticket. Come to the, the, the little side table and, and I'll let you in. And so I get to the table. That next day, I'm there, I'm at the table, and I, I asked the lady, I say, hey, my, I told her my name, she looks, and she's like, you're not on the list. And I was like, yeah, but uh, he said I'll be on the list. She said, you're not on the list. So I get my phone out, I start to call him. As I'm calling him, he walks up, he's got this big lanyard on that says VIP on it, and he looks at the lady and he says, hey, he's with me. And she's okay. I said, that's pretty cool. And so I walk with him, and so I start going down the you know, it's a big stadium, right? Start going down toward the court. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to sit on the court side. And we get to the, the, the entrance to the court side, and there's a security guard, pretty big security guard. And my friend looks at him and says, he's with me. The security guard's like, go ahead. I was like, this is awesome. So we sit court side in these very, real soft chairs right by the court. Uh, the Ole Miss women's basketball coach came by. I got to speak to her. I mean, I'm not a fan, but I got to speak to her. Um, and so after the game, he said, come with me. And so we get up, we walk to this um, conference room in the back where the coaches and players would sit on the stage and the media asked them questions. And I got to just kind of sit there and watch that. But as we got to the door, there was a security guard. And my buddy said, he's with me. Security guard said, go ahead. We go in there. In the back of the room, there's a, just a spread of food, catered food. It was awesome. And I was like, can I eat that? He said, if you're in here, you can eat that. I was like, yes. And so I ate. And so... I just had a, I had a great day. I loved it, right? And so at the end of the day, my buddy had walked off, and he came back where I was sitting at the courtside, and he said, here. And he handed me a VIP lanyard, which I was thinking, it's the end of the day. What's that, what good is that going to do me now? He said, this is for tomorrow. The next day, I went back. I wore that lanyard like I was something. 
I walked in the door, didn't speak to anybody, just walked straight in. I went right down the court, didn't say nothing to anybody. I went and ate the food. I went to watch the press conferences. That pass, and more specifically, my friend, gave me a full access to all of those things. Without him, I'd have been sitting up in the nosebleed somewhere. Here's my point. We have an access to God through prayer. And our access comes, well, I shouldn't really change that. We have the access to God <laughs> through prayer. And the access is Christ, right? I mean, we read it last week in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, and he's the way to salvation, but he's also the way that we are able to pray to our Father. One of our church members, and I didn't even plan this, but he even said it this morning as he prayed in here. He began his prayer with, we come on the merits of Christ as our Lord. That's what that means when we pray in Jesus' name, that we're praying because of who Christ is and what he's done. And we can trust that as we pray in the name of Christ, according to the will of God, that he might be glorified, we can trust that God will lead us to do the greater works he's called us to do. Do you see it? He's saying to the disciples, you're going to do great works. It's not going to be easy, but... One way you're going to be able to accomplish these things is by prayer and praying in my name. I want to give you a, just very quickly here. Um, I call this the ABCDE of prayer. If you're taking notes, jot these down. When we pray, we're able to adore him, to praise him, to give him the glory that he, he deserves from in our hearts and our lives. The B is we believe in him. Our belief is shown in prayer. I mean, if we truly believe in God, then we should certainly pray to God. If we don't pray, that might cause us to question some of our faith. The C is to commune, to fellowship. We only have that fellowship with God through His Word and through prayer. D is to depend. One reason we pray is to show our dependence upon God. Failure to pray is failure to depend on Him. Then E is to be empowered. We're empowered by the Lord as we pray. So Jesus says here, you will advance my kingdom, church, but you will not do it if you don't pray. You will advance my kingdom. You can go back one, son. You will advance my kingdom, but you will not advance it if you don't pray. Someone told me yesterday, they may, they may listen to this, I don't know, but someone told me, my child is far from God. And this person was devastated by this, you know, they were very sad. And they said, my child is, is far away. I think my child might even be an atheist. And this is someone I feel like I can be honest with. And I said, when's the last time y'all prayed together? This person said, it's been years ago. When's the last time you, you kind of read the Bible together? It's been years ago. And I know this person. I know their situation. I said, when's the last time you've been a part of a Bible-preaching church? This person said, it's been years ago. And the statement I come to is, if you don't, and this is for us too, not just our children, but if we're not around the Word, and if we're not part of prayer in the church, then we can't expect to be close to God. We can't expect our own spiritual growth. We can't expect spiritual growth of our family 
if we don't have prayer as a part of our lives. And we can talk about it all day long, but until we begin to do it, what difference does it make? Church, I hope that we, seeing the importance of prayer, I hope that we will make it a, an important part of who we are. Let's go to the next one. So Jesus promises his disciples that they will advance his work as they pray, and secondly, as they obey. Now, look at verse 15. The shortest verse in this section might also be the most powerful. In verse 15, he says, If you love me, I'm going to give you this very literally. Literally, this is this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will obey me. Notice the connection between loving Jesus and obeying him. And not only is it in verse 15, skip down with me to verse 21. In verse 21, he says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. So who loveth Jesus? Who loves Jesus? The one who keeps his commandments. Go down to verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Verse 15, verse 21, verse 23, Jesus emphasizes the idea that obedience is an expression of love. Obedience to God is an expression of love for God. So why does Christ emphasize obedience? Well, anyone can say, I love God, right? Even if their actions don't back it up. But Jesus and the entire New Testament makes it clear that our actions are important. And they reflect who we truly love. Someone said, insincerity is stripped away when obedience is the mark of love. See, within the, even within the church, there are people who say, I love God, I'm a Christian, I do this, I do that. And yet, they don't, their lives never reflect that. I, was, I heard someone say this, this has been years ago. I heard uh, a lady say this. She said, my son loves God. She said... And we're talking about a situation that he was going through. She said he doesn't support his kids. You know, they're separated, and he doesn't really give any money. He doesn't really give time. He doesn't support his kids, but but he loves God. And I I said two words. I said, does he? Another lady one time I was talking to, this is someone I'm I'm pretty close with, like, man, she, she is addicted to, Ten different things. But she really loves God. Does she? You know, he, he, just, he goes to church two or three times a year, but he really loves God. Does he? He doesn't read the Bible, ever. He owns one. It's got dust on it. It sits on the shelf. He doesn't read God's holy inspired word, but he loves God. Does he? Our actions are more important than our words. I think. If we love God, 
we will love the things that he loves. His word, his people, his mission. If we love God, we will hate the things he hates, the sinful things of this world. And if we love God, we will do the things he calls us to do. I challenge you with those two words. When I said, does he or does she, I challenge you this morning, do you? Do you truly love God? Our attitudes, our actions, our words matter. J.C. Rowell said it like this, where the Holy Spirit is, there will always be a holy life. The Holy Spirit does not come reside in someone and let them just stay the same. He works in us. That leads us to our third one and final point. Jesus promises them they're going to advance his work as they pray, as they obey, and as they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So back in verse 12, I told you that the last part where Jesus says, because I'm going to the Father. And the implication there is that Jesus is leaving, but he's sending another, right? I wrote it like this in my notes this week. Jesus is leaving them, but he's not leaving them alone. He's leaving, but he's going to send another, a helper. Verse 16 and 17, our final two verses, he says, get back to it here. He says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Now, we're probably going to talk more about the Holy Spirit next week, but let me give you a few thoughts on him here this morning. First, the Holy Spirit is given from the Father. The Holy Spirit is God. He often gets neglected. There's a book called The Forgotten God about the Holy Spirit, and the writer emphasizes that we always talk about the Father and the Son, but we often leave out the Spirit. I think a lot of times in a, our Baptist-type culture, we've seen other groups maybe um, misuse the Spirit, and so we tend to maybe shy away from it at times, but the Holy Spirit is God. It's from God, and it is God. The Holy Spirit is a, a person. It's a He, according to Scripture. And the Greek word there, you see the word in your Scripture, comforter or helper. The word for the Holy Spirit is paraclete. When you think of the first part of that word, para, think about parallel. Parallel lines come alongside each other. And the Holy Spirit is sent to come alongside us to minister and to help us. Verse 17 says, He is the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit inspires the Word of God. The Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God that we might understand it. Have you ever read a verse that you've read a hundred times and all of a sudden you get something from it? Or you see something maybe you didn't see before? God's Word didn't change, did it? But the Spirit may have illuminated that verse to you showed it to you a little more clearly. He is a spirit of truth. Number four, he indwells believers. He comes to live in us, to guide us, to direct us. It says there in the text that unbelievers do not know him. If you don't know Christ, if you never put your faith in Christ alone, then you don't have this guide, this help of the Holy Spirit. You don't have this comforter, this advocate, this helper. You're missing it if you don't have Christ. But with Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And the text concludes there by saying, He is with you forever. 
Back to our original concern with these disciples. Are we done? Have we wasted three years of our lives? What's next for us? Jesus says this. You're going to advance my work, I promise you. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be very difficult. But you're going to have some ways to, to go about it. First, you're going to pray. You're going to depend on the Father. You're going to pray in my name and on my merits. And, I'm, and your prayers are going to be answered according to God's will. You're going to obey me, not just say you love me, not just say good things, but you're going to obey the things I've taught you to obey. And he's going to tell them later, by the way, you're going to teach others to obey these things. And then he says this, you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm sending you to do a difficult task, but I'm going to send one to help you who will enable you to do the difficult task. There's nothing that God's called us to do where we can say, man, God called us to do this, but he's not giving us what we need to get it done right? There's nothing we can say. We would do this for God, but he didn't really give us all we need. We need, we need some big blue and red flashing lights up here. That's what we need. We need a smoke machine down here that will blow up while we're singing songs. We need more instrumentalists. We need more seats in the building. We need more people in the building. We need a better parking lot. We need a better sign out front. We need a, we need a bigger gym in the back. Are those the things we need? Has God left us hanging? He's given us everything we need, his word, his spirit, and a group of people to do it with. So how are we doing, church? How are you doing? Are we going to let distractions and other things that might hinder us, are we going to let those things hinder us from being a part of advancing his kingdom? Or are we going to do all we can together for the kingdom of God? Christ has called us to it, and Christ has equipped us to do it. Let's pray.